Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. With me this, that we resolve to make declaration of the glory of God. You promise? Yeah? Okay, we're going we're gonna to dig into this. We're going to celebrate. We're going to glory in our God and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy. It's not rhetorical. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. There's none beside him. God Almighty. He is the great I am. The great I am. The great I am. We uh, come uh, gathering together this Sunday morning. And we come uh, with heart made glad. Yeah? I do at any rate. Hearts made glad. We've been enjoying um, a, a wonderful weekend of glad making, yeah? Of rejoicing and of celebrating in the wonder and the grace of our God. Jesus has done many good things, hasn't he? Yes. And on Friday night we gather together to, to celebrate the things that, that Jesus has done. Um, in our church and through our church and we particularly celebrated them with reference to people, to to you, Uh, wonderful people and the way in which many, 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 many folks within our church serve and minister and appreciate and embrace what it is to be on mission, to be people who have heard the call of Jesus Christ and he called us and he said, come and see, yeah? Do you remember when Jesus told you that? Um, it might have looked like your neighbor or your friend or somebody in your family, but it was Jesus' call. And he said, come and see. And Jesus said to you, come and follow. You remember that bit? Yeah? And he said, all right, it sounds good. And then Jesus said, come and die. And you thought about it for a moment because you should. If somebody says, come and die, you should think about it for a moment. But then you said, actually, this is right. My old life needs to die. I need to come to new life in Jesus. And Jesus said, come and come and come. And then Jesus said, go. Do you remember hearing Jesus tell you to go into all the world in the power of the Spirit to be a gospel person, a gospel speaker, a gospel liver? And uh, you, you've been living out the gospel in powerful ways. We've been celebrating that as a church. You need to celebrate one another. Yeah? You need to celebrate the grace of God in one another. Will you do that? Will you do that a little more often? I know some of you, when I say turn to someone near you and say this or that or the other, you're like, oh goodness, do we have to? I know know it's true. Don't pretend like you don't think this way, some of you. You need to celebrate the grace of God in one another. You know, most of us, we leave this place on a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, and the bulk of our time, there are not many people around us celebrating the grace of God in our lives. Isn't that the truth? We go to places of work, and most people do not celebrate the gospel, which is radiant upon you wondrous people. They don't. You go and study, and people will actually attack the gospel in your places of study. Isn't that the truth? So come on, church. You have this opportunity to celebrate the gospel in one another. If you will not do it, you are failing one another, powerfully failing one another. Come on, church. You don't spend that much time together. Maybe this is a time for you to think about how you can spend more time together. 
You need to celebrate the gospel in one another because it ain't always easy. Isn't that true? It's not always easy to live a Christian life. So look at somebody, smile at them, and tell them that Jesus loves them. Don't resent it. Give them a hug. Shake them by the hand. Buy them a coffee. Buy them a piece, not right now, in a bit. (laughs) Buy them a piece of cake. Tell them that they're beautiful. Tell them that the radiant grace of God is all over them. Tell them that they're full of the Spirit and full of possibility. Tell them that they're an ambassador for Christ. Tell them that their mouth is full of the grace of God. Tell them that when they speak Jesus, their lips are dripping with honey. That's evocative, isn't it? That's not just me, that's in the Bible. Tell one another that there are good things happening in your lives by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Nobody else is going to tell you this, are they? Are they? Are they? I want to work where you work if they're going to tell you this. Honestly, I want to live on your street if everybody meets one another in the morning and says, beautiful Christian person, full of the Spirit of God, loved by the Father. Go in grace and peace and see wonders be done today. When you meet your neighbor, do they say that to you? No, they don't normally. They will do one day. Amen. Not just yet. So come on, encourage each other. Encourage each other. Say good things to each other. Some of you are looking at me like, I'm not even going to encourage you, Pastor Greg. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You can't stop me encouraging you. (laughs) I love you. And Jesus loves you. And we will love one another. Uh, It's incredibly important. We read this morning, having talked this weekend about what it is that we want to see in our world by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, We've talked about a number of things, but um, some things that have really resonated with us is thanking God for what he's doing in our lives, longing for more. Does anybody want more of God's work in their life? Yeah? We want to be saturated with the gospel, isn't that right? Every area of life brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple. It doesn't mean pick and choose, not pick and mix. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is following him as closely as you possibly can by means of his word and the spirit. Becoming like Jesus. We want to be saturated in the gospel. We want to be fluent in the gospel. Taking it everywhere we are and everywhere that we go. That even this whole area might be saturated with the gospel. Yeah? What's it say in the scriptures? Once upon a time, there will come a day. It will happen. This is not fairy tale, actually. This is the decreed will and word of God that the earth will be filled. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now you and I, we have a choice this morning. We can either say, well that's nice, I'll just sit back, relax and if it happens one day, well then wonderful. Or we can say, this is the decreed will of God. Do I want to align my every living breathing moment with seeing the will of God come to pass? If that's you, then we want to see the world saturated with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, don't we? Am I speaking in a funny language? Come on. If God said it will be so, where's your faith, people of God? Where's your faith? 
Is it lining up with the facts of scriptures just yet? Come on, is it lining up? Have you determined that you will do whatever it takes? I don't know the timescales of God. Some people think him slow, but we know he's not slow. He's patient. I don't know when and where and how, but I do know there is a calling upon my life. And I want to see the will of God be done in my generation. I want to see the will of God be done in my town. I think there's a few of us, we're getting there. It's exciting. Saturate the earth, Lord, with your glory and your grace. Oh, let gospel grace come to everybody. We've talked about how um, oftentimes when we seek the will of God, there's sometimes a bit of a fight around that. Has anyone ever experienced a bit of a fight in their walk with Jesus? Not with Jesus. If you want to have that kind of fight, you'll come off worse. (laughs) You fight sometimes to seek and to see um, the will and the ways and the wonders of God in your world. It doesn't always come easy doesn't always come easy and Jesus never promised it would Uh, you know that one of the verses if we kept a tally chart I reckon this is the verse that I quote most often on a Sunday we should keep a tally chart maybe a little sticky thing at the back with smiley faces for every verse that I quote John 16 chapter uh, John chapter 16 and verse 33 in this world you will have anyone want to hazard a guess troubles Troubles. you said that with relish you weird bunch (laughs) you're like troubles come on Uh, In this world you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. Some of you are beautifully old-fashioned, I like that. Be of good cheer. I take heart, but be of good cheer is nice. Makes me think of Christmas somehow, I don't know. It's just wonderful. Be of good, take heart. Why? Why do we take heart? Jesus has overcome the world. He he looks us square in the eyes. He gets up close and whispers in our ears and he says, I have overcome the world. Mm. Yeah. What wonder. I've done it. It's done. See it, to realize it, to appreciate, to understand it, to see it permeate every part of our World. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about battle and about breakthrough and about blessing. These are good spiritual principles. Sometimes they're seasons, challenges, moments, opportunities. We're going to talk about some of these things. Does anybody know that sometimes they run alongside each other? Do you know sometimes parts of your life seem to be in blessing? Other parts of your life have a breakthrough and other parts of your life seem like they're falling apart and everything is battle. It's not just me, is it? Okay, good. This is just this is what it can be in life. It can be like this. And we're going to talk about these things. We're going to tell you a little more as we get closer. But towards the end of September, we have a really great guest speaker coming uh, to be with us. He leads a ministry called Urban Saints. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about what it is to be disciples who make disciples. I'm sure we'll hear a lot about battle and breakthrough and in that Um, keep your ears open about that this morning I want to open up the 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 concept of battle and to ask us what is the fight what is the fight what is the battle what is the war that we're talking about I would suggest this morning 
Um, we're not idiots. <laughs> you, you and me, Ron. The rest of them are thinking about it. <laughs> we're not idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's too late now. Uh, <laughs> we're not idiots. We don't like war. That's reasonable, isn't it? It seems to me that there's something materially wrong with somebody who relishes war in our world. There would have to be somebody, something wrong with somebody who appreciates and enjoys war for war's sake. There are moments, of course, many a book, many a film, many a this and that and the other, poems and all sorts and tales have been told of of incredible things that happen in the midst of those troublesome times. There are moments of heroism, aren't there? And of courage. Moments of compassion, of love, of sacrifice. Incredible moments within a terrible whole. You perhaps remember before the last Iraq war and the turmoil there was in this country even, pales into insignificance compared to the real turmoil in Iraq, but the turmoil there was about whether we should go or not go to war. I don't know how you remember it, but in my mind's eye, I don't remember thousands of people marching saying, let's go to war. I don't remember that. I'm sure there was a a vocal lobby that was saying this needs to be done, but the vast majority of the marching was against war. Now, I'm not weighing up whether it was right or wrong or good or bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the natural inclination of people, of generations, and though we are somewhat distant, we're still relatively close to some wars that people thought would end war. Our natural inclination is to say, I don't want war. War's wrong. It's bad. That's the natural inclination. Yeah, we might still agree that war has been the means of the defeat of some of the most terrible injustices and awful oppressions, some of the most fascistic excesses of both left and right through human history. War is conflict. War is also conflicting. In a broken world, we find it, and as much in our broken world It's not easy to define. We rightly recoil from its horrors. But perhaps you know courageous, compassionate people who have fought do fight for issues of freedom. On behalf of the weak, perhaps, we recently went, Erin and I, to see the movie Dunkirk. I don't know, has anyone seen that? It's a powerful cinematic experience. It's not very grisly or gory, really, although shocking moments as they would happen. What really got me was the visceral nature of the sound of it all. It was overwhelming. It was, it was really difficult. And it tells the story, and you know it, I imagine, of those who went to fight on the side of right, but then pressed back, overrun, overwhelmed by superior forces, which had momentum behind them, and they found themselves press right, 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 right back into an otherwise unremarkable town. I'm sorry if there's anyone from Dunkirk here today. But uh, an otherwise, you know, for its ferry port, probably nothing much else. But they found themselves pressed back into this place. And there they were on beaches. And you know when you go to the beach, there's not much there, is there? If you want a bit of shelter, you've got to take your windbreak. 
It's a very English thing to do, very British. Take your windbreak and your brolly and your seats and your little thing. There's nothing there. These men, service people, were there with nothing. No cover, nothing. Exposed, vulnerable. Strafed by fighters, shelled by mortars. And it, it very honestly, I thought, the movie told the story of how in such circumstances stretches human goodness, perhaps. Stretches human capacity. Stretches human capacity in ways that are remarkable and astounding and wondrous, but also stretches human capacity in ways which reveals human inadequacy, human confliction, human indecency. And as much as some were struggling and fighting for each other and seeking the good of one another, others were, well, they were looking out for the main chance. It was like, how can I be saved? Whatever it takes. In moments, even to the point of, should we sacrifice another for the sake of, and not for the greater good, but just for the selfish good. These things happen. It's not surprising, I guess. Human goodness and badness is on display well, in most of our experiences and lives, isn't it? It's how much more so in a war zone. War is conflicting as an exercise of the mind to think about it, but it's much more so conflicting as a lived reality, it seems. How might we have fared on the beaches of Dunkirk, shivering in the spray and running from bomb to bomb? Christians, take this a step further realize we're not on that beach but as Christians we are in a war we are in the midst of a war zone we are in a battle and just as battle will reveal the motivation the character the method the destination of a soldier so also our Christian lives our understanding of the battle that we are in the challenge that we face the task ahead of us reveals what you're about as a Christian what we're about as a church church oftentimes is compared one way or another to being either a cruise ship or a battleship which way might we be inclined is it for our comfort and our entertainment is it a means of realizing the purposes of God? Are we out to save the weak and the vulnerable, the last and the least and the lost? Or are we content? I want to read again the words of Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And we began with them in the ESV. But I want to read from a slightly different translation, the Phillips translation. I think this is going to come up on the screen as well. No, it's not. Uh, I'm going to read it. Um, you can find it um, online, I'm sure. It says it in a different way. So I tell you what, so you don't get distracted. You're all looking at different translations now. Let's go back to primary school. Get yourself on, this, on the carpet in the corner of the room. Story time. Are you sitting comfortably? Close your eyes. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In conclusion... Be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless resource. Put on God's complete armor 
so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power and that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. Take your stand then with truth as your belt, righteousness your breastplate, the gospel of peace firmly on your feet, salvation as your helmet, and in your hand the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Above all, be sure you take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. Pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all Christ's men and women. Did you hear it? Our fight. You can open your eyes unless you've fallen asleep, in which case just stay happily where you are. Our fight. Our fight. The Bible speaks to us. The Bible doesn't exclude us as we're people of God. The Bible says it's our fight. Here is made plain the nature of the battle, this spiritual battle, what we might term spiritual warfare. And we firstly regard that it is our fight. If you are a Christian, you are a soldier. If you are a Christian, you are a warrior. If you are a Christian, you are a fighter. And some of you, that sits so easily and readily with you, you think, thank goodness I always thought Pastor Greg was a little bit wet, but now he's saying we can be fighters. Some of you are like, yes. Others of you, I don't like that at all. I don't want to fight. Honestly, I don't think I could fight my way out of a wet paper bag. I don't know whether I can do this. And we have a range, I imagine, of characters here, but God speaks to all and he says it is our fight. Time and again, in the New Testament, a comparison is made between Christians and soldiers. You know, we're we're told that soldiers, they don't pay attention to, to worldly issues. They're focused, they're devoted, that soldiers train, that soldiers are invested in what they do, that they follow orders. All of these kinds of soldier kinds of metaphors. It's not because the Bible loves earthly war. It's because the Bible recognized there's a more significant war spiritual war soldiers fight the bible however begins and ends with peace a few of you have been holding your breath you can breathe out now it's okay it's going to be all right the bible begins in a time of peace where god made everything perfectly does anybody know that all of creation was at peace with its creator the pinnacle of creation people were at peace with their maker walking in peace everything was right but the bible uh, teaches i was going to say soon teaches but truthfully i have no idea how long it took the bible teaches that war did come 
And born of pride, born of rebellion, came war, heavenly war against God. But it wasn't long before it became earthly war against God. And people just like you and me, let's be honest, you and me, made rebellion against God. It's what sin is. It's saying, we're in charge, thank you very much, God. We know better than you. We want to usurp you from your position of authority and righteous rule. We do not believe that you are all you say you are. We believe more in ourselves. That's sin. It's rebellion. It brings brokenness and shame and death into our experience and into the world. Things began in peace, moved into war. The Bible teaches, if you follow the story through, that things will all end with peace again. Just like a story with a good ending. Some of you are weird. I like stories with good endings. Uh, It ends with peace again. And everything is made right with God. In fact, everything is made new. And there'll be no more sorrow. Yeah, one of us likes the sound of that. There'll be no more war. There'll be no more hate. No more sickness. No more death. Jesus will wipe away the tears of the eyes of all of those who place their faith in him. And everything, once again, will be at peace with God. But just as peace moved through war to where we find ourselves today, so the Bible teaches that to reach peace again, we move through war. The Bible teaches of cosmic showdowns, cataclysms. The Bible teaches of the worst kinds of horrors. We cannot say that war is a good thing in itself. It is not. The Bible teaches that to move again to peace, we come through a fight. We come through war. It's very true that in wars that we struggle with in our day-to-day lives, wars that escalate in our spiritual circumstances, Christ is already the victor. Did anybody enjoy singing that this morning? Is there anything better to sing? (laughs) It's really good, isn't it? To shout and to sing of his victory. This is true. Jesus Christ, remind yourself, was lifted up upon a cross. And from that cross, he did not shout curses upon creation, though he was entitled to do so. From that cross, he did not bring blame. He did not bring any form of hate, for he could not do so. From that cross, Jesus declared love, perfect love. And he said, it is is finished it's finished he fought as no one could not you not I none of us could fight for our own salvation we couldn't fight hard enough we couldn't fight far enough but Jesus Christ came and he fought in our place he gave his life there's no greater love is there than to give your life which Jesus did not even for friends, but for rebels and enemies. We were against him, yet he loved us and he saved us. It is finished. We know the truth of this. Not everybody knows the truth of this. Victory might be our lived experience in Christ Jesus. But it is not the experience of everybody. There are battles still raging in our world. Many struggle. 
There is much pain, fear, injustice, lack. The victory which Jesus Christ won upon the cross is not yet the believed faith, the lived reality of everybody in our world. We must ask ourselves, are people worth fighting for? It's a fight. Here we've read that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against people. The Bible in no way, shape or form, gives you a mandate to be aggressive towards people. I I hope I don't have to say that. I'm sure I don't. But let's be clear about it. There's no mandate in the Bible for anger and aggression towards people. In fact, our mandate is to fight against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You think, who, me? You read Ephesians chapter 1 and see what God has done in your life. And the Bible there teaches that you've been lifted up and blessed with Christ by God in heavenly places. This is what you've done. You think, actually, Greg, I'm, I'm sitting on my comfy little behind on a comfy seat here in Birkenhead you think that's your reality it's a little bit of your reality I'm not saying you've got a little bottom that's not what I'm saying Uh, it's just a little bit of your reality the bigger bit of your reality is that you are in heavenly places it's your identity and so when the Bible says there's a war to be waged there who do you think is going to be fighting it (laughs) who's in heavenly places You're not on your own. It's all right. You're like, I'm going to get to the back of this line. Don't worry. You're not on your own. The story of the American Civil War is multifaceted, I know. But there's one little moment in that um, story, one um, thing that happened there that really stood out to me recently. And... uh, you know, I'm sure, that when uh, the conflict was brewing and, and growing, that some of the, most of the southern states seceded from the Union um, around a number of different issues. But one of the key issues was that the southern states wanted to maintain the system of chattel slavery so that they could build their wealth upon the backs of humans treated inhumanly. And that was the system that was being uh, opposed uh, by those who remained within the Union. But uh, the state of Tennessee um, was one of those states that seceded. They wanted to keep things as they were, the injustice, the brokenness. Well, it was serving them quite well, thank you very much. They wanted it. But those in the east of Tennessee, East Tennessee, did an incredible thing. Tennessee seceded, broke away from the Union, and they said, hang on a moment... We don't want this. We don't want this injustice. We don't want this brokenness. We don't want this rebellion. And so they seceded from Tennessee. (laughs) You could think it would go on and on and on, wouldn't you? They said, "Uh, no. You don't speak for us. In essence, the people of East Tennessee became rebels against the rebellion. That's kind of fun, isn't it? Sounds exciting. Christians, that's what you are. Our world remains in rebellion, much of it, 
against its creator, in spite of the completed work of Jesus Christ, much of our world is yet to appreciate, understand, and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But you have done, not because you're better, but because the grace of Jesus Christ has become real in your life. It's not because you're more lovely or more intelligent or any of these kinds of things, simply because God's work has become real in your life. The battle has become real in your life. You're saved. You are East Tennessee. Nobody's ever told that to you before, have they? You're rebels against the rebellion. Our world maintains rebellion against God, but you've decided, no, I'm not being a part of that. I'm a rebel against that rebellion. I ally myself on the side of God. On the side of God. It didn't go very easily for East Tennessee. You read a bit of your history. The forces of the rebels, the forces of those who wanted to perpetuate injustice came against them in heavy order. They suffered and they struggled and they fought and they resisted. And there was pain and there was cost, but they stayed firm to what they believed to be right. Christian, that's the exact same experience for us. There's cost to be paid. It's to be counted and to be paid. There's trouble. There is difficulty. A fight isn't an easy thing. Will you stick to your guns? I wonder if you ever ask yourself, wouldn't it be good if God could just continue fighting this battle? He did really well on the cross. Wouldn't it be great if God could just do everything else? Wouldn't that be nice? Does nobody else think like this? I think like this from time to time. Because I know I'm not, not nearly as good as Jesus. I know that. Wouldn't it be great if God could do everything? Now, there's two answers to that question the first answer is yes God does do everything okay so let's not get ideas above our station all the way through the Bible there are time and time again particularly in the Old Testament that there's a battle to be fought and the instructions for how to fight the battle come and the instructions basically are just get there be faithful stand firm God's going to do the rest it's not a lot of instruction is it really it's not a great deal. One of my favorite verses recently in the Bible is Exodus 14, 14, and they're about to go into fight. And God basically says, it's all right, you're going to win. All you've got to do is stand still and shut up. Basically, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> Just get there, stand there, be firm, and then shut up. I don't know how you feel about God telling you to shut up. It's a pretty good thing, I reckon, oftentimes. The Bible teaches us very, very clearly that it is always God who brings about the victory. Why did Ephesians 6 tell us to stand firm in God's might? That it's he who is our strength. But is there no part for us to play? Oh, certainly there is. Jesus Christ, just as he was going to come to the cross, he got to praying as he did more than anyone before or since. And he inspires us to do so. And he was praying and he prayed for his disciples. And at the moment he was praying for those that he could see around him. They were all sleeping. Not impressive. <laughs> but he knew they were warriors. And he prayed for them. He prayed for them a really strange thing. Knowing the trouble that was to come. Knowing the extreme nature of the fight. Jesus prayed for these people. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He's talking to his father. 
All mine are yours and all yours are mine and I am glorified to them and I am no longer in the world. He knows he's going. They are in the world and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. It's good, isn't it? Jesus gathers together his disciples. And, you know, this is not like come along to a really good class. I want to teach you some stuff that I know. This is not like follow me, make me feel good about myself. Jesus is guarding his disciples. That's his heart towards you if you're a disciple of Jesus. That's rather nice, isn't it? I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. His will for you is that his joy might be fulfilled in you. You can tell your face about it sometime if you want. Um, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here it comes. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus does not ask for you to get a free pass out of this world. There is no get out of jail free card for you or for me. But he does ask that you'll be kept from the evil one. Think about it for a moment. Is there a prayer that Jesus prayed that has not come to pass or will not come to pass? Is there? You're thinking about it. There must be one somewhere. There's not. Jesus prays that you won't be taken out of the trouble of this world. He prays that you won't be taken out of the battle. He prays that you won't be taken out of the struggle, out of the fight. He prays that you will remain in it, but that you will be kept from the evil one. He prays for your perseverance. He prays for your holiness. He prays for your oneness. He prays for your joy. He prays for your fruitfulness. He prays for the possibility of the kingdom in and through you. People of God often ask for God to get them out of here, please. If you've ever prayed that, don't worry, you're not on your own. You're in good company. Moses prayed it. He said, get me out of here, please, God. I'm done. I'm out. I'm finished. Elijah prayed it. He was pretty good too, wasn't he? I think so. Jonah prayed it. He was a mixed bag. He's a bit more like us. (laughs) And he said, "I I can do with getting out of this. None of them. None of them did. God annoyingly doesn't oblige. He refocuses, he re-energizes, he equips, he enthuses, corrects and teaches, fills with his spirit. 
Not only that we might become like Jesus, but so that others might be saved. Jesus has prayed exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Exactly what is needed for a soldier, for a warrior, for a fighter, for a world changer, for an ambassador of the kingdom. Jesus has prayed what you need to do the job that he's called you to do. The task that is at hand the necessary, everything you need. Time is marching on. Tonight we're going to consider in more detail how it is that we do fight. I wonder if I can perhaps just for a moment or two as we draw to a close and come to worship the Lord again. Can I challenge some misconceptions about the fight just for a moment? We joked briefly on Saturday morning about a recent boxing fight. Boxing used to be known as the sweet science. (laughs) Seems to me that a recent fight was more about the science of making money. Um, A couple of very skilled people, very dedicated, very arrogant, very distasteful people determined to fight how did they do it well there was a lot of publicity a lot of lights a lot of glam 640 million dollars of money seems to me that you don't need that much money to get these things going there was a lot of going nose to nose and speaking vile things there was a lot of all of this and in the end it was all over in a matter of minutes and Is that the kind of fighting mentality, the kind of fighting metaphor that the Bible calls us to? Well, almost exclusively, no. Discipline, certainly. Exercise, skill, certainly. None of the rest. Consider again for a moment World War II. And um, we talked a bit about Dunkirk, but even back home, Um, It was a time of great lack, wasn't it? Of of great need, of great trial. Um, It was not a time of plenty. There were lots of stresses and strains, difficulties in society. And so, of course, people being people, from time to time, there would be complaint. Because people complain. No. Time to time. From time to time, people would turn on one another. And they'd say, oh, do you know that person? They've done, ah, if only. And there was a recurrent refrain, not all the time, but quite commonly it could be heard, I'm told, that when people would complain or turn on one another, when these things would bubble up, someone would come and prick that bubble with the simple words, don't you know there's a war on? It's simple, isn't it? When complaint would rise up, when infighting would start, They would look at one another and say, don't you know there's a war on? You can't say much to that, can you? (laughs) There's a struggle, there's a fight. Christians, we must never, 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 how strongly can I say this? We must never, 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 never indulge the culture of complaints. It will kill the battle. How strongly can I make this clear? 
The culture of complaint will kill you before you get out on the field. It will. James 4 says, why do you wage war against one another? Why do you fight one another? Why are you turning your guns upon one another? Why is that ire and anger and malice towards one another? It's because these sinful passions within you are waging war. You have not yet realized who you are or what you're about. Christian, do you find yourself complaining? Turn to the Lord in repentance and ask for his mercy. Complaint will kill the work of the kingdom. Do not, how strongly can I say this? Do not indulge yourself in complaint. Please, for the love of God and for the love of the lost, look for the good. Seek it. Search for it. The guns of the possibility of your life, turn them away from one another and turn them out against the spiritual forces that are raging and reaping havoc across our world. Don't complain. Don't you know there's a war on? Don't you know there's a war on? Jesus, Luke 19 tells me that he saw the cross, literally the war to end all wars, and he set his face towards Jerusalem. No distraction, no complaint. The one whose heart broke almost from the moment he began his ministry to the moment he completed his ministry, walked around our world with a breaking heart, no complaint. No complaint. Devotion to the cause. We live in a world where in the Houston area of America the ravages of a broken world cause devastation. And a particular church for whatever reason and don't pretend that you know the reasons because you don't. It doesn't open its doors as people say that it should. I'm no fan of that particular church. You can ask me afterward if you want to know about it. I'm no fan of partial or false gospels. I'm really not. I see guns turned upon people. I see Christians fighting Christians. Ask yourself the question, does your neighbor give one moment's thought to the gospel preached by a single church in Houston. Do they? Does your neighbor who is dying in their sin, it, tell, ask yourself, is that the thing that's keeping them from the kingdom? Is it? Your husband, your wife, are they kept from the kingdom because of some random church somewhere else? Is that what it is? Stop complaining. We must stop whinging about things that have no matter. They have no value. There's no point. And people are dying in their sin while we whinge about meaningless nonsense. This is not how we fight. 
with two things for this morning and the rest for this evening. Time is gone. Ephesians 6 tells us in all circumstances take up the shield of faith and at all times to pray. We'll look at the rest this evening but these two alls, they grab our attention straight away. We want to withstand but also to extinguish the devil's attacks. Christian, I wonder whether you ever think Oh, I wish the devil wasn't attacking me. Hmm. Might it be that the faithful Christian draws the fire of the devil away from those who can come to faith in Jesus Christ? Might it be that your shield of faith extinguishes his flaming darts so in the, in the lee of your protection others might come to the grace of Jesus Christ? Might it be that a soldier is out there to defend those who can't defend themselves? People who don't know Jesus, they cannot defend themselves against the devil. You have the shield of faith. You're the one who's got it. There are darts flying all around our world. Which ones have you extinguished this week? Which ones? Who have you run in front of as they cowered beneath the wickedness and evil of our world? Who have you run in front of and protected with your shield of faith? Come on, Christian. It's not an easy call. It's not an easy call. Why else? Why else? You're not made to cower in the gloom, in the corner, in the back. You're made to go out there and fight, protect, see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and to pray. To pray. Faith in Jesus cannot fail. We are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It is the Lord who is powerful to save. This gospel must go everywhere we go. This, must, this gospel must fill our mouths and our minds. This gospel must fill our moments. This gospel must fill our neighborhoods. This gospel must fill everything at all times, in all ways. And Christian, your feet are shod with the readiness of the gospel. You are the one who has the shield of faith. Go and pray and go and pray and go and pray. Would you stand with me this morning? At the close of the that movie Dunkirk there are more than expected make it back. You know the story, it's magnificent. All those small ships, it's really beautiful to see those little moments of sacrifice and how an individual, you know, they, they said, I can't do much, but they did what they could. 300,000 and more made it back safe when only 30,000 was expected. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. All for the sacrifice of the ones and the twos and just small boats. But the soldiers come back and they're traveling, you see on the movie, I don't know how it was in real life, but they're traveling on trains back to towns and cities and military bases and so on and so forth. And 
the reality dawns on some, on many, that where they've been and what they've done and what they've seen might be perceived as failure. And it cuts them. (laughs) Many of them, they're good people. They've perhaps done some bad things, but they're good people. And it cuts them that they're going back to their communities and they feel like failures. They feel like, well, we know we went as warriors, but we feel like we're coming back with our tails between our legs. And you see some of them and they're hunched over the table in the train. In those days, everyone got a table on a train. That was nice, wasn't it? Um, And they're hunched over the tables and they can't even bring their eyes to look up. They misread everything. A man who distributes at the dockside food to them, he's blind. But they misread it. They think he can't even bring himself to look at us. We're so disgusting in our failure. We haven't achieved, we haven't done what we were supposed to do. I wonder as we open the word of God and as we allow the spirit of God to challenge us, I wonder if we sometimes perhaps feel like those kinds of failures. Maybe we feel like we've gone with good intention at a time, sometimes in our Christian life. And yet we maybe feel like we're coming back with the tails between our legs and we say, I'm no kind of warrior. I haven't fought for the kingdom. I haven't fought for the lost. I've been indulging. I've been a person of complaint or of self-interest or worse something remarkable happens as they get home a window's banged and the man looking at his table on the train he thinks oh this is worse they're going to get us they think so ill of us they're going to mob us we haven't done what we should the banging continues and one looks up and he hears the clinking of a couple of bottles as cold fresh beers of all things are passed through the window into the carriage and the banging continues on the side of the train as warriors who are far from perfect and the achievement has not been done and the battle hasn't been won but they're brought home and there's refreshment and there's honour and there's a new day and there's a welcome and there's comfort and there's hope and they get off the train and people celebrate them not for what they've done yet but for who they are and for what they're going to do Christians I wonder if we're in that kind of season and you know we may at a time have gone with good intention but we were pushed back onto the beach and maybe we did whatever it took to get back to where we could be comfy where we could be safe and we thought we were coming back with our tails between our legs we thought that the fight was finished for us but God wants to speak to us and he says to us today he celebrates you for being found in Jesus Christ he celebrates you for who you are and for every Christian every warrior a warrior but you're a warrior Maybe you didn't act as a warrior, but you're a warrior. For every Christian, there is refreshment and there is renewal. There is a new day. Maybe we need some new training. 
Maybe we need to toughen up a little bit. Maybe we need to get tooled up a little bit because we threw our gun away while we legged it. Maybe we need to do these things. This is certainly the case. But Christian, there's a new day coming. You who know your history of the Second World War, you know they gave that day a name. What did they call it? D-Day. And they went back. Beaches not far away from the beaches of their humiliation became beaches of their courage, of their valediction. They became beaches that became the moments that hope was going to come to people who needed hope. And I want to ask you today, Christian, you know, there is no judgment, no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. You know, maybe you're saying today, oh, thank God Greg is speaking this because I'm fighting and it's good and we're getting stuff done. Maybe that's you this morning. God bless you and may encourage you in your might, which is his might. Maybe today you come back with your tail between your legs and you think it's all over. It ain't over till it's over. And Jesus says when it's over, he said it is finished on the cross and I'm not listening for anyone else's voice but his. He's the one who knows when it's done. Some warriors today. He's looking for some warriors today. He's got everything you need. Everything you need. And he's saying, Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Will you come again? Will you go again? Will you fight again? Will you strive? Lord Jesus, we could pray for a thousand things. I truly, I consider them unnecessary today because you know your army. You know what each of us need. You know where we're at, where we've been, what we've done.